Oh, who's feeling good this morning? Yeah, well, that was good. I'm going to invite Pastor Chris up now, who's going to share the word with us. You may be seated. Why don't you give him a hand as he comes? Awesome. Today is the final of my series entitled God. And so after this, we'll be preaching on somebody else as, uh, as we finish this one. Uh, uh, somebody in the chapel service cheekily suggested Buddha. <laughs> but no, I'm pretty sure that God is actually going to be the centre of our preaching, uh, even though some of the uh, titles... I mean, yes, Kirsty's preaching on the image of God, um, and so he's still going to be featured in what we're preaching. But I thought I'd, I'd wrap up what we've been learning, because we've, we've been looking at the character of God and how, how we, we look at God... Uh, through, through different eyes and how you know, we struggle with some of our representations of God. After all, we talk about the Trinity, God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And yet that's actually a really hard concept to explain to people how God can be three people and yet he's actually only one. And, and so we run into problems with things like that. But I think rather than, than look at definitions of who God is, the important thing for me, and I suspect for every single person here, is... Who is God to you? Who is God to me? How do we make that personal connection with God? And what is it? Uh, and this is obviously how, how it starts for most people. What is it that actually brought us to a place where we accepted Jesus into our lives? At that point of salvation, what was it about God that made us take that step and think, yes, I need, I need that in my life. I, I, want, I want to connect with a God who has this particular aspect that impacts my life. Um, and that's where you, you hear phrases like, uh, God meets you where you're at. You've heard, you've heard that one? Or, or Jesus loves you as you are. That's, that's, a, that's a common one. And there, there are two ways we can use, one, use those. Uh, the first way is the wrong way, which is a cop-out. It's basically saying, God meets you as you are, and he loves you as you are, so you don't have to change because God's fine with that. No, I'm sorry, God is not fine with that. God meets you where you're at and God loves you as you are so that he can connect with you and change where you're at and who you are because he has a better plan for you than you have. And so really what it means is if we're searching for meaning, if we're looking for God, if we're searching for answers, however you want to put it, God manifests himself to us in the form we need him most at that point. And so, for example, uh, and the only example I can give is, is my own example, uh, in my early 30s, I was, I was searching, and funnily enough, I didn't actually know what I was searching for. Anybody ever been there? You're searching? Is, you know, have, have you realised it's hard to find something that you don't know what you're looking for? It's sort of, yeah, I'm searching. What are you looking for? I don't know. But how are you going to find it if you don't know what you're searching for? But that's where I was at. And so I, I didn't really know uh, what I was searching for, but... The thing that I was looking for, the thing that I, I got a revelation about uh, was actually that God is the God who is always with us. Now, I don't mean it's not, in a, I didn't get that revelation in a creepy sense, like, you know, God is in the bathroom when you're in there as well. It's not that sort of thing. It's, it's, it's like this, the very same way that, that God talked to Moses in, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. It says, Moses protested to God, who am I? To appear before Pharaoh. Who am I to lead the people of Israel 
out of Egypt. Because you see, Moses had a history. He had a history with Pharaoh and the Israelites, and he wasn't popular with either. So he, did, he wasn't keen to go back to Egypt because he was either going to face a very humiliating um, situation there or he was going to be killed. Um, not sure which is the most humiliating. Um, but he, he basically was trying to tell God that he was not the man for the job, that God had made a mistake and chosen the wrong person, and surely God could see this. And God's response to that in verse 12 is classic. Basically, God answered, I will be with you. And that was it. And I was in that same place, that I was, I was hesitant about my future. I was hesitant about stepping out because I didn't feel adequate to do what I thought I needed to do in life. That you know, I was competent in some areas, but there was a confidence lacking because I could not see how I could be used. And to find out that there was a God who not only saw my weaknesses, my failings and, and the problems in my life but, and still loved me, but that he was actually willing to take up the slack and say, look, it doesn't matter who you are. It's who I am that matters. And guess what? I am with you. And that was the revel- that's what I needed to hear. That was the point that I was at in life when I came to church. And I, and I was dragged to church, very politely. Um, but we had friends who invited us to church one Sunday. And uh, I don't know what it's like now, but back then it was, if people invited you to church, you said, oh, yes, thank you, that's nice, and ignored it because you didn't think they were serious. But they were serious because they rang us up on Sunday afternoon and said, you weren't there. And we said, oh, oh you were serious. You wanted us to turn up. And so next Sunday we turned up. Um, sort of reluctantly. And so I walked into a church service much like this uh, for the first time and stood there with my fists clenched, my heart, arms by my side as they sang songs as we did here. And I'm there thinking, oh, this is horrible. This is horrible. I do not like this singing. I cannot sing. I do not want to sing. And gosh, they're excited about it. Some people are lifting their hands. Some people are pumping their fists and they're calling out and they're clapping. I'm thinking, this is, this is not my scene. And so I was, I was actually very uncomfortable until the pastor started to preach. And suddenly the word of God that he was preaching dropped into my head and su- suddenly I understood how God could impact my life. And from that moment I was hooked. I put up with the singing. In fact, I can remember going up to him at some point and saying, oh, I love your preaching, man. This is just absolutely fabulous. Do we have to have the singing? Could, could, we, could we actually dispense with that in the service? And uh, he, he actually took me aside and he said, he said what, why do you think we sing? And I said, oh, just to warm people up, I guess. It's, 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 it's just a habit. Every, we, you know, every church I've been to, so, you know, most of them sing a bit quieter hymns than, than you do, but it's just a habit. He said, no. He, he explained to me the idea of worship. And how we connect with God on different, different levels and how worship actually breaks down doors and opens places that we can actually connect with God. And I thought, oh, I, I'd never thought of it that way. And so I put up with the worship. Um, I actually really enjoy it now. Um, and the only reason I'm in the front row is I still can't sing and, and nobody actually wants to stand in front of me and be put off by my singing. Um, but it was, that, it was that revelation that God is a God who is always with us. He's always got our back. He's always, he uses us to 
do all sorts of things. He commissions us to do what he wants, but he is always with us in that commission. And that's what I needed to hear from God when I got saved. The interesting thing is that sometime after that, though, God said to me, move on, there's more. And I I don't know how you came to connect with God. And I I want you to think about this as, as I go on. I'm going to give a few examples of how people find that connection with God. It may not be your example, um, some of them maybe, but I want you to think about what that connection was that first got you talking to God. The, the, one of the common ones is, is God's holiness. Because you know, back in Exodus again, in chapter 3, verse 5, we've got Moses approaching the burning bush. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. And this part of the Bible story, which is one of many, that shows us that God is holy. And for some people, to connect with an idea of a unique, different and transcendent God is something that brings them a revelation in their life about who God is. Uh, This is the God who has the creativity and the resources to actually make a universe. This is the God who is the very definition of justice, moral goodness, beauty and purity. And so to come into the presence of such an utterly unique being means to come into the proximity of unique and sacred and holy space. And often people, you can tell people who have come to that revelation of God because they often, they often speak in very reverent tones and hushed voices about how the holiness of God has impacted them. Because it's actually changed something in their spirit. They have come to a recognition of the fact that what has been in their life has not been holy. And that to complete them, they need the holiness of God. And it it becomes a, a new part of their life that they can draw on and they can rest on and they can actually understand to bring them closer to God. And that may be some people here this morning that have come to that recognition that the holiness of God is something that is amazingly transcendent. And, and often, if, if that is you here, often your greatest um, frustration is that other people don't understand what you're feeling and don't feel the same way. Um, my only answer to that is I'm sorry, but you have to live with that. Um, but the other thing is that I know that at some point in your walk, God is going to say, move on, there's more. And so... I mean, God's a God of love. I mean, a lot of people come to a recognition of the need for Jesus in their life because he is a God of love. Um, 1 John 4.16 says, We know how much God loves us, and we've put our trust in his love. God is love, and all those who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Who knows that you can trust human beings to be who they are Sometimes. But you can trust God to be who he is all the time. God is love. And so we can actually depend on God's love and therefore we can depend on his forgiveness. Exodus 34.7 says, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion and sin. The great thing about that is that apparently forgiveness isn't something we have to drag out of God. It isn't something we have to beg for. It isn't something that is hard to get. Forgiveness flows out of the very being of God because of the fact that we can trust him 
to love us always. The great thing is that when we enter into a covenant relationship with God, he is so dedicated to that covenant relationship that even if the other side breaks the covenant, he will never break that covenant. Guess who the other side is? Yep, you and me. And uh, yep, I'll put my hand up and say, I've broken the covenant one or two times, possibly more. Um, and so this, I mean, if you've come to God and you, you look at the trail of wreckage that your life has left behind you, the stupid decisions and the regrets, they're never going to go away. But that's, and that's just part of your story. But if you can take God at his word, that he is a loving God and that forgiveness just flows out of him, then the shame and the guilt are lifted and there is a sense of freedom in people's spirits. It's a great place to meet God. But after some time, guess what he's going to say to you? Move on. There's more. Perhaps it's the fact that he's a God of justice. Because when you look at the world and you look at the evil that goes on, to think that that evil is going to go unanswered, there are no consequences for people who enact some horrific acts on people, places, all sorts of things depending on what you consider are the most sinful things. Some people think it's the health of other people. Some people think it's the health of the planet. Whatever it is, there's evil that goes on. And to think of a world where that evil goes unpunished can be depressing for some people. And to recognise that God is not just a God of love and forgiveness, he's also a God of justice, gives people great comfort. Exodus 34, 7 says, I do not excuse the guilty. And Ezekiel 18.20 says, Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behaviour and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. And the thing is, how how do we balance this with God's love and forgiveness and yet justice on the other hand? How can God be both? Well, the simple answer is that God offers us an opportunity. His love and forgiveness are always there if we repent. But if we refuse to repent... God says the consequences of that are yours to face because he is a just God and his justice will prevail. And so this gives people a degree of comfort in the fact that God is in control no matter what the circumstances look like. A word of warning warning there. Don't let a God of justice turn into a God of vengeance. That is can be a trap that people fall into, that people recognise that God is a God of justice and therefore go preaching fire and brimstone to people who don't know God, saying, you know, because you're a naughty person, God is going to hit the smite button and you're going to be gone, puff of smoke. Um, I don't think that's particularly helpful and I don't think that's what God says in his word. We actually have to recognise that God's justice is there to help us give people every opportunity to repent and accept God's love and forgiveness. But if that's what has brought you to God, then that's a great thing to connect with. But I'm sure God will say to you after a while, move on, there's more. And we get to the Trinity. We might not love the idea of one God being three, but it doesn't stop us from actually picking one of those three and identifying with that really closely. 
God the Father. There's a great image here in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. It says, as I looked, thrones were set in place. So he's obviously kingly. The ancient of days took his seat. Now, automatically you think white beard. doesn't say white beard, but it says his clothing was white as snow and the hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. My vision of thrones don't usually have wheels. <laughs> so God's got a pretty nifty throne going here. But there's a picture there of authority and kingship and glory and majesty that, that is God the Father. And a lot of people associate that. And the, and the thing that's really great about that is that the converse is also true. Exodus 33:17 is an interaction here with God and Moses. And it says, the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked for I look favourably on you and I know you by name. So we've got this almighty father, heavenly God who has created the universe. He sits in royal and kingly places, but he loves us and he knows us each name by name. And so there's this great vision that we have of the creator of heaven and earth, the mighty hand behind all we see on this earth, from all the living creatures to all the great mountain ranges, mighty rivers, and all the glory of the natural world. God is creator and father, powerful and creative, and yet caring and intimately connected to us as the pinnacle of his creation. What a compelling point of connection. Not only people connect with that, whole denominations, whole sections of Christianity are focused on the fact that we serve an incredible, creative, awesome, mighty God. And that's their point of connection with the Trinity, with God in heaven. And so that's a really powerful connection that people have with God. But even then, God says, there's more. Move on. What about the Son? Surely he would never say that. Because Jesus is, after all, the closest thing we have to seeing God in person. John 1.28 The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in Ephesians 2.16, it says, Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles here. To God, but by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought the good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far from him, and peace to the Jews who are near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. The enormity of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is absolutely incredible. What he's done for humanity is absolutely awe-inspiring. And yet really that revelation comes down to what, what has Jesus done for me? It's great that he saved humanity, but the thing that really hits home is he saved me. He died on the cross for me. He died on the cross for you. And as we personalise that connection with Jesus as the Messiah, as the, as the sacrificial lamb, uh, as the incarnation of God walking among us, that's inspired millions of people through the centuries to follow Jesus because he's our, our closest connection to God in a physical sense. And he rightly deserves our honour and our adoration. 
because he, he is the, the figure that we, that we worship, that we draw near to, that has inspired millions of people. And so we should worship the Son of God. The Son of God is, is all important in our thinking, in our, our preaching, in our worship, in everything. And yet if he's that only point of connection, God says, move on. There's more. What about the Holy Spirit? Because after all, we're a Pentecostal church. We're all about the Holy Spirit. Everything else can just ah, go. Isn't that true? Well, possibly. John 14, 26 says, When the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything that I've told you. What more do we need? Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are powerful forces in the world today. Many people's first encounter with God is through a relationship with a spirit-filled Christian. They may experience a relationship through healing or other physical, uh, other, sorry, spiritual gift that they're exposed to. And in fact, the Pentecostal movement is based on the revelation of the power of Pentecost when the disciples were transformed by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But even so, and this is hard for a Pentecostal pastor to say, if that is how you first connected with God, at some point he's going to say to you, move on, there's more. And I didn't, I didn't actually come to that realisation until I was at a, a, a conference with a guy called Christian Schwartz, who is the leader of the natural, natural church development movement. He's a German guy, and he came to Adelaide to talk about uh, church health and, and how churches are healthy through natural means, not through um, a lot of the, the guff that's been spouted through the media and all sorts of other places. And uh, it was open to all the churches who wanted to come in Adelaide. And uh, I was, it was up at C3 Adelaide Hills and I was sitting on the front row and behind me were a, a, a row of people who had come from an Anglican church. And uh, we, we had a bit of praise and worship to begin with, just one, possibly two songs. And as we sat down, uh, one of them whispered to one of the other one in a... Fairly loud whisper, I'm not sure I was meant to hear. Um, but it, it was basically, oh, thank goodness that's over, these flaming Pentecostals, it's all hands in the air singing, there's no flaming depth to their theology. Oh, I don't know what it is about them, but it's just not real. And I'm sitting there thinking, excuse me? And they continued talking, and, and a lot of their talking was actually putting down uh, the Pentecostal movement. And I was, I was actually stunned because I was there thinking we're all here in a spirit of camaraderie and togetherness and fellowship and, and that these people... And suddenly I thought, oh, well, okay, what do I think of traditional churches? Stuck in the mud, barren tombs, whitewashed walls with... with I'm thinking, oh, okay. So... I actually think the same of them, but in reverse. 
Because it was my experience, I mean, I, I went to, uh, when I was a, a young lad, I, w- I went to a Catholic church. I was an altar boy. Um, and so uh, I left church at about 14 or 15 and, and never went back until, as I say, we had this experience in our early 30s. And so I, I had no experience of, of church or even a, a real connection with God for 15, 17 years. And so... My adult life experience was, was Pentecostal. I, I didn't, I'd lost connection with anything that was traditional or, or anything else. And in fact, uh, I, I was used to preachers coming in, in and bagging you know, my old church. Like, you know, you've got a, a priest who dresses like your mother and carries a smoking handbag and, and insulting things like this. And I suddenly realised that we were, we were doing the same sort of thing to other churches as they were doing to us, that there was, there was this friction because we were holding on tightly to our revelation of who God was to us. And it didn't happen at, at that time, but at some point I really felt God say, move on, there's more. And I actually developed and have been developing a, a greater interest in theology, a greater interest in the word of God, the greatest interest in the other aspects of the Trinity, Jesus and, and as, a, as our Messiah and, and the Almighty God as, a, as the creator of heaven and earth. I have opened my eyes to the way other people see God. And guess what? They're not wrong. I'm not completely right. And we have to actually understand that it's, it's no good looking at other people's interpretations and saying, well, they, they just don't know what they're talking about. Sorry, but they do. They just have a different connection point. But I think, apart from realising that, which I think is a really healthy thing for us to do, we actually have to go a step further, I believe, and start to embrace connection points that have not come naturally to us. Because if we are one-dimensional in our relationship with God, we are doing God a disservice. I believe that God's connection with us, he wants it to be as multifaceted as possible. He wants to delve into the tradition of the church that we might not have. He wants us to delve into theology that we might have shown no interest in whatsoever because we're, we're, we're just interested in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. No, the, the, some people aren't going to relate to that. Some people need to understand why the Bible was written, how the Bible was written, what revelation the Bible authors had to actually do that. Some people need to have a revelation that okay, Jesus left the Holy Spirit for us and that's great to actually use the spiritual gifts and to to live by the fruits of the Spirit here. But we've got to recognise that the Holy Spirit only came because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and that we need to have an equally global view of Jesus as Messiah as we do as Holy Spirit, as, as the power and presence of God on the earth today. And if we don't open ourselves to these different ideas about God, if we don't delve further into God's character and personality, we're only going to be one-dimensional Christians. And I don't believe that's what God wants for us. He actually wants to say, no matter where you are, no matter what your understanding of God, no matter how many facets you've, you've got, and you know, I'm, the trouble is as you get a, start to get a grasp on other facets, um, you realise how little you know. <laughs> It's one of these things like I used to do um, uh, molecular biology research uh, at the University of Adelaide. And uh, we used to, we, I started off studying just genetics. 
and we were looking at the, the, the DNA in a general form. And then I, I worked for a group that studied um, the DNA of haemoglobin synthesis. And then the group delved into one particular enzyme in that pathway, aminolevulinic acid synthase. Say that quickly when you've had a few. Um, <laughs> not that you would. Um, and then once we were looking at that one gene, I started looking at a, a section of that gene called exon 4, uh, which was part of uh, where the protein folded that caused mutations which caused sideroblastic anemia. Um, and so I, I, my worldview had shrunk from looking at people to looking at a disease to looking at a DNA to looking at a piece of DNA about 400 base pairs long and looking at a stretch of it that was probably only about, well, it's not that long, it's really tiny. But, um, and so the more I knew about what was going on in our research, the less I knew about everything else. And we actually have to realise that we have to step out from what we know and what we're, we're researching, how, how we first connected with God and start to take more on board. Because otherwise we end up knowing more and more about less and less. And I believe God wants us to know him more and more, but not just in one area, but to actually expand our vision. God is big. But we are his people and we can be big too. We're not called to be narrow-minded, single-focused. We're called to be all-encompassing, all-loving, all-understanding. But that understanding takes time and work. If we are to accept people with weird ideas, because who knows, everybody else has weird ideas. You've heard that saying, everyone in the world is mad except you and me, and I'm not too sure about you. <laughs> we actually have to let go of that thinking and recognise that if we want to get some of that bigness in God, we have to let go of some of the, the inhibitions, some of the, the weird ideas that we have. Because we have weird ideas. Um, and yes, I am talking to you. So I, I want us to, to really think seriously about this. I mean, it's, it's fun to actually throw these things around, but we can actually change our lives if we actually set ourselves to know God better. And so, can I, can, I get, can I get a show of hands? Who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna move on that? One, two, three, excellent. Come on, let's all stand. Can I get you up here, George? We, we, need to, we need to take this to God. We need to let him know that we're serious. Because it doesn't matter what you tell your neighbour. It doesn't actually even matter what you tell yourself. But when we tell God, that, that's when it gets serious. That's when, okay... We've spoken to the Holy Spirit, the Son, the Father. We've spoken to the God of love, the God who's always with us. And we know He doesn't forget. And so we need to be serious about what we're telling God. And before we do that, I just want to issue an invitation here this morning that if you're going to get serious with God first, you've actually got to know God. And to get to know God, it's really a question. God has issued an open invitation to every single person on this planet to be one of his children. He sent Jesus to die on the cross, not for the church, not for people who believed in him, but for the world. The world who doesn't know God, who doesn't follow God. And that invitation to follow him is open to every single individual.
But we have to answer that invitation. We have to answer it by saying, yes, God, okay, I want to take up my half of the agreement. I want to make an agreement with you to follow you, to have you in my heart, to be a child of God. And I I, I want to issue that invitation this morning. If you're here and you've never accepted God's invitation to be one of his children, you've never said, yes, Jesus, I want you in my heart. I want to pray a prayer with you this morning to start that journey, to take that first step to say, okay, I'm going to live like a child of God. Or if you've done that before, but you know that it hasn't stuck. You've tried it, but you've walked away. God God says, come back. Let's give it another go. And so if that's you this morning, can I first of all ask everybody just to close their eyes? Now we're going to pray this prayer together. So I'm going to ask you if that's you this morning, you've never done that before, you've never asked God into your heart or you know you need to do it again. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up so that I can see it, just so that I know who we're praying for. But I'm not going to get you out here to pray it in front of everybody. We're actually going to pray it as a, as a church. But I'd love to know who it is I'm praying for. So while everyone's eyes closed, if that is you, you wish to invite Jesus into your life for the first time, or perhaps just again to re- reintroduce yourself to him. Can you just raise your hand so that I can see it? And we'll pray a prayer. Awesome. We're going to pray that prayer in a slightly modified form anyway. I'm going to ask you to repeat it after me because I believe that if we're going to take on a knowledge of different aspects of God, if we're going to press in and say, okay, you know, I got saved because I needed the God who was always with me, but I need to know the God who is love and forgiving. And I've got to press in because that's not my natural tendency. We're going to have to let God move into areas of our hearts and our spirits that we might not have allowed Him in before. So I think it's great for us to pray this prayer just to let Him know that we're serious. So if you could repeat after me, Dear Lord Jesus, today I open my heart to allow you fresh entry to do your will inside of me. I thank you for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit in my life. I pray right now for a new revelation of your character. Encourage me, Lord. Help me, Lord, to see a bigger God and be a bigger person as your child. Thank you for your work in me. Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome.